Amen. Come on, let's give him one more shout and hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, it's been great so far, hasn't it? Whenever God's people get together, worship Him. And we got a great guest speaker today, and I know you're going to be excited. That first service, though, before we could even start, we had to pray and break that spirit of greed and, and selfishness and lust for all these things we're seeing up here and out in the parking lot. Now, the Harley-Davidson people brought some stuff up, Texarkana Tractor, just kind of decorate for us, and we just want to thank them. And we got a gift at the end for all the fathers here we want to give. But right now, we got something even better. we got somebody that's going to share the Word of God, what God's done in their life, what He wants to do in your life right now. But uh, let's give a hand. Clarence, uh, Lee, if you'll come up here. Amen. I thought we were going to give him a real good Texarkana welcome. I mean, he's all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Been to Alabama this week and all over the place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Any Florida State fans? One of the national champions here from Florida State. Hey, I'm just going to give it to you, let you just kind of share where you've been, what, you, what God's got for us. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. <laughs> I know you talked about that Harley, but my eyes on that grill right there. <laughs> it's beautiful. George... You know, George Foreman, he's a beautiful guy, isn't he? He sure is. George Foreman, the hamburger. Now, golf, I'm not too keen on that part. Not really. I, um, I, I played five holes, and I'm just not good at that. I feel like I'm going to pull a muscle trying to hit that little tiny, tiny white ball. It's, I quit because I, I want a ham sandwich afterwards, so I quit and left there. You know, you know who my golf partner was? It was a, it was a celebrity um, fundraiser. A guy named Alice Cooper. I never heard of him before. And <laughs> Did you know he gave his life to Jesus? He's, he's different, though. He's a little different. <laughs> oh, he's a good golfer, too, real good golfer. But my, my athletic background, I played football at Florida State University. We won a national title. I went to training camp with the Buccaneers, and I had injuries that ended my pro career, but I still went on to play uh, football in the Arena Football League. I was the strongest player ever to play at Florida State University, and I never played football in high school. I was too skinny to play football in high school. I was so skinny, if I turned sideways and stick out my tongue, I looked just like a zipper. <laughs> I weighed 80 pounds in the eighth grade. 13 years old, I have a twin brother. His name is Terrence. My name is Clarence. His middle name is Leon. Mine is Dion. He weighed 70 pounds. We were skinny. I remember at my middle school, everybody had a beard. Everybody had a mustache at my middle school. Everybody had a driver's license at my middle school. Deep voices. Body odor, size 15 shoes. And these were the cheerleaders at my school. <laughs> True story. I got beat up by 15 guys in the school bus. 15. And I remember the guy who beat me up, his nickname was The Veteran because he spent three years in the eighth grade. And 
<laughs> I got off the bus. I was fine. I was a little bruised up, but my ego was really bruised up. And more than that, my father had passed away uh, four weeks beforehand, and I was getting courage to get back in school. And I remember my twin brother was walking with me. I was thinking I want to get revenge, and I started doing push-ups. I saw this guy on TV. His name was Herschel Walker. He did 3,000 push-ups a day. I said, if he can do it, I can do it. So I did five a day, 10 a day, 20. And I kid you not, I worked my way up to doing 4,000 push-ups a morning, 4,000. My bench press in one year went from 95 to 225, from 225 to 365. I was bench pressing 465 my last year of high school. I was getting very strong quickly. But then my buddy walked up to me, and this guy was different. My friend, we were friends since the fifth grade. We became best friends. We went to a school that was socially segregated. Everyone that was African-American sat on one side of the classroom. Everyone that was Caucasian sat on the other side of the classroom. And I remember he got tired of the atmosphere of the classroom, so he gets up in front of everybody, tall white guy, Tweety Bird T-shirt. He wore to school every single day because his last name was Tweety. He walks all the way to my side of the classroom, sits right in front of me, and he says, before school is over with, me and you will be best friends because I don't like the way this school looks. We're going to be best friends. I thought he was weird, but I thought he was bold. He says, do you need a ride home? I said, well, they're going to beat me up because I'm friends with you. So, yeah, I'll take a ride home. <laughs> His mom picked me up in a brown Oldsmobile with a bunch of Tweety Bird stickers on the side of the car. It was embarrassing. So I hid my face as I was walking to his car every day after school. And I remember he had about 50 Tweety Bird T-shirts in his closet. This cat was different. He was different. Today he's a pastor. He pastors a church in, um, in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. We're best friends ever since the fifth grade. This guy walks up to me and he says, you need to train for a different reason. Because you may get your revenge and you'll win the battle, but you'll lose the war because you'll wind up being just like him. What he was telling me was there was a difference between sight and vision. Sight is what you see with your eyes, but vision is what you see with your heart. The word vision comes from a Greek word, optica. It's something from afar. You've got to make adjustments for it to come to a view. With sight, you need eyeglasses. With vision, you need healthy relationships. And this guy tells me that you got to train for a different reason because you're going to be just like this guy. He's going to wind up in jail. So he took me to a football game. It was University of South Carolina. That's where I was living against Florida State University. And I got it for free because I was selling peanuts. I got fired within 10 minutes because I ate all my peanuts. <laughs> but you have to understand this. I got an excuse here. These weren't regular peanuts. These were boiled peanuts. If you know what boiled peanuts are, it's like, it's like crack. It's addictive. Hey, all my peanuts, very salty. And, and, I, and, I, and I remember watching a guy named Deion Sanders. He returns a kick. He tells the coach, don't kick the ball to me. It's hazardous to your health. Coach kicks it to him anyway. Deion grabs the ball, sits there for a couple of minutes as the guys are running up to him. I thought he was crazy. Then he takes two steps back, 60-degree angle, jogs 60 yards down the field, makes a touchdown, comes back, takes two aspirin, gives it to the coach, and they kicked him out the game. I said, I want to play for them one day. That's what I want to play for. So I started doing push-ups. Kept doing the push-ups. I was getting stronger, getting stronger. And before you know it, my friend left me. 
He moved to Florida. I hadn't seen him for about eight years. He rings my doorbell. He grows eight inches taller. I didn't know who this guy was at my door. He was about 6'6". Six, six. He weighed 140 pounds. He was very skinny. I looked up at him. He rings my doorbell again. His head was real big, like a spoon, those tablespoons. Head was big. <laughs> so <I'm> look. <laughs> Don't put it on YouTube. But anyway, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at him. I didn't know who he was. And then I looked behind him, and guess what I saw? His mom's Oldsmobile with Tweety Bird stickers. I said, no. He says, do you remember me? I said, I remember that car. <laughs> he says, guess where I'm working? I said, where? At Florida State University. Really? He says, I'm the equipment manager at Florida State University. I have the keys to the weight room. I'm like, okay, that's good. He says, how about you live with my family for free and we'll sneak you in the weight room every single day. We'll just sneak you in. I thought it was weird because I was going to junior college. I said, okay, let's go for it. So I packed all my bags, moved in with his family. Every day, snuck in the weight room for three months. The news media came in. Deion Sanders was playing for the Falcons. He came and visited. So they interviewed Deion. Then they interviewed three guys. Got him Charlie Ward. He won the Heisman Trophy. They interviewed him. And then they took the camera, and they put a way across the weight room while I was trying to be sneaky. Mind my own business. I didn't realize the weight I was lifting was so heavy no one had lifted that much weight in 20 years. The guy that Ron Simmons had, it was his max, but I was playing with the weight, doing a 10 reps with it. It was 550 pounds. I came home, and I had a turkey sandwich, three buffalo wings, and a glass of Kool-Aid. <laughs> I turned the TV set on, and I saw myself on TV, bench pressing the weight, had my name on the screen, this man is the strongest man ever to play for Florida State. He will help the goal line defense. I wasn't even a college student. I said, I'm going to jail. <laughs> so I got a phone call the next morning, a guy named Bill Sexton. And then um, I went to his office. I was trying to find every excuse to tell him I didn't know this was a weight room. That doesn't make sense, though. <laughs> Coach Bobby Bowden, he's a legend. Let me tell you about Coach Bowden. He's the second winningest coach in football history. He's committed to the Lord. The man one time stopped practice, took the guys to the locker room, took them to the film room. We thought we were going to watch a film on offense and defense. He showed a film on sexually transmitted diseases and the consequences of our actions. He led seven guys to the Lord, and then practice was over. That's how serious he is about God. So I remember one time, um, during halftime against the Miami Hurricanes, coach said a curse word because we were losing. He went back in his locker room. He came back. He says, we need to stop cursing. You guys pray for me. The guys thought he was crazy. And then we didn't say anything else after halftime. He was sitting out with a playbook in his hand. And he looked at me, and he asked me, when's the last time you played football? I said, eighth grade. He started laughing. He says, what's your name? I tried to tell him. He says, well, I saw it on TV. I know your name. And the coach mentioned that we, we know you've been here for three months. We know who you are. He says, we want your work ethic. We like it. I don't care if you can play or not. We just like your work ethic. Do you want to play? I said, yeah. He gave me a playbook and a scholarship, put me on the team.
could you imagine in the fifth grade if I had to dismiss that kid who sat in front of me with the Tweety Bird t-shirt on? I'd have never experienced going to the weight room. He had more than the keys to the weight room. He had the keys to my destiny. Because of playing at Florida State University, I got involved with the strength team. I've been to 30 different countries, seen 50,000 people give their lives to the Lord next, last year. We have something that is stronger than racism. It's called clickism. And if we don't step out of our comfort zone and realize it's not what you know, it's who you know. You want to get saved? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You step out your comfort zone and you give? I tell you what, the Lord will put something in your character that you could ever imagine that goes beyond your culture. He wants us to step out of our comfort zone and have a kingdom-like mindset. Now, I remember, first of all, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you before I go to this. The first scripture I want to read to you is in the book of Judges, chapter 3, verse 31. This is the NIV. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goat. And he also delivered Israel. Like move on to chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. And the travelers walked along the byways. Next scripture. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Let's stop right there. Now, before I get to this scripture... I want to tell you, being on the power, a strength team um, has been a great experience in my life. We go in public schools, which is really the mission field of the strength team. We break bricks, run through two-by-fours, run through ice. I remember when I was in Britain one time, the BBC asked us, what does breaking bricks have to do with God? Nothing. But it has everything to do with people. We'll do what it takes to create that bait to draw in people to the Lord. And it's a very, very effective ministry. But something I want to tell you about one of the greatest speeches I ever heard in my entire life. Coach Bobby Bowden was giving a speech. And it was about football, but I, I took it deeper than that. It was the most violent time of a football game, the kickoff. And the kickoff is interesting because I know during the kickoff, you have so much adrenaline in you and you have 100,000 fans screaming when the ball's being kicked. And you run at full speed as fast as you can. And when you come down there, I'm tired already. Maybe because I went 300 pounds. But I'm like, <laughs> you, just, you feel like you can't play anymore until they calm you down. Because let me tell you, you have to imagine 250-pound men coming at you. And on the other side, 250-pound men. And they collide into one another. Something's going to happen, and it's not going to be pretty. It is ugly. They form a wedge, and the wedge is when these guys pretty much get into a, um, a V-type pattern. They come at you full speed, and they form in this formation to develop the perfect blocking style for that running back as he has the ball in his hand to go all the way down the field. The wedge busters on the other team. And let me tell you about the wedge buster. 
The wedge buster has no regard for his life, doesn't care how he looks in front of the crowd, doesn't care about the atmosphere. He doesn't have any kind of fear whatsoever, doesn't care about his stats. All he wants to do is hit, knock, and disrupt that wedge by any means necessary. Marvin Jones was an athlete that he bragged about. He said Marvin played with reckless abandon. When Marvin played, he sacrificed his body. Sometimes when I saw him throw a hit, it's almost, it looked like he took his entire body, flipped it upside down just to knock down nine people at one time so his teammates could make a tackle. Marvin was crazy. He didn't have it upstairs, but I guess you had to be that way to play that kind of a position. You got to be a wedge buster. Now, I got a little bit offended because the way he talked about Marvin, I felt like, he was bragging about the way we used to be in the past, that you kids don't understand and realize you're not entitled to anything. These are your forefathers. They know how to fight. They've developed an institution. Don't you take it for granted. We demand excellence from you. Let me tell you about my dad. My dad spent 26 years in the military, was a Green Beret, fourth-degree black belt in karate, Two years in the Vietnam War, my father was a, a, a sniper. He used to shoot. And I remember when he came home, he was so gentle towards my mother, and he treated her like a princess. He used to sing her these songs. Couldn't sing worth anything, though. <laughs> but I wouldn't tell him that in his face because he was so big. We call him Eclipse. He would block the entire sun. He was humongous. Never took off his combat boots. Big man. And I remember dad used to be a good cook. Because I, um, I'm, look at me, just kidding, but that was a good cook. I used to eat everything he put on the plate. But he bragged about his grandfather. He says, you think I'm tough? Look at my grandfather. Look at your grandfather. Your grandfather was a farmer. Your grandfather did everything with his hands. He was tough. He raised me and my brothers. My brothers are bigger than me. And he mentioned that one time he was with his friends, and they talked about, you know, because they got a little bit of peach fuzz on the, above their mouth right here. And, and, they, and he talked about um, having a little bit of beer, a little fuzz right here, a little hair. They felt like they could take their dad on. I can take on my dad. Yeah, I can take on my dad. When they went to my father, says, can you take on your dad? Here comes my grandfather with a little cane in his hand, walked up. They're trying to get a car trunk open. They couldn't get the trunk open. And my grandfather is banged it with his fist, and the trunk comes open. They looked at him. They get quiet. It says, you can never take on your dad. He was that kind of a person. When it was time to eat, they put everything in the pot, everything for the pig. They pass it around. You name it, the pot came back to him because he would eat from the pot. Make sure you leave him some food. Hard-working, blue-collar family. People ask me this, to this day, do you do drugs? Nah, look at my genetics. I don't do drugs. Collard greens, cornbread, black-eyed peas. No shortcuts in life. Let me show you something I used to do for the other two services. This is from doing 4,000 push-ups a day. I'm going to hold this bottle of water without using my hands. <laughs> 4,000 push-ups. <laughs> when you go home, husbands, wash dishes to impress your wife instead. That will impress her more than anything. <laughs> Hopefully my wife ain't watching this. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Well, here's Shamgar. Picture his situation. They're going through judgment. 
They're facing oppression. They're facing poverty. An entire nation with no kings, no order in their life, doing everything that's on their own, don't realize that their forefathers, like King David, they were fighters. And God is going to allow these men to be oppressed. The Philistines would take their land and take their property. And these guys were so afraid of the Philistines, they won't go from point A to point B to get to the grocery store. They go all the way these winding paths because they were afraid of winding up in front of a Philistine. They were afraid. Not one man owned a weapon because all these years they never had to fight because they were used to living in peace. So God's allowing these men to go through oppression so they could dig deep underneath who they really are to face the opposition. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, why am I going through why I'm going through? God, why are you allowing me to go through it? God wants you to dig deep inside of who you are because God made you who you are and where you come from because people need to see that you're real. There are doubting Thomases. They want to see your scars. They want to see your struggle. And if they don't see those scars, they won't touch one of those scars. They're going to think you're not real like they even did to Jesus himself. I tell kids to this day, if you're Latino, you should not fail a math test. In your blood, you have Aztecs. Let's talk about the Aztec Indians. They make geographical structures to this day that engineers can't even figure out. It's in your blood. You got conquistador in your blood. The conquistadors will fight until the end. So you're a fighter and you're smart and you're afraid of a math test? If you're Latino, you should be a king. African-American, we're brought on a ship. And on that ship, it was nasty. It was nasty and horrific. Many died on that ship. Only the stronger few made it on the ship. Then as they got stronger and they breeded us with other African-Americans, we got even stronger than that, treated us like we weren't human. We still overcame with inventors. We still got a president. Guys, listen to me. We have no excuses if you're African-American. We can't blame anybody. And my Caucasian brothers, I have kids who don't want to go to college because they feel like it's away from home. What am I going to do away from home? Is there a Walmart over there? I don't want to go there. But yet you got a man who got on a ship and they told him don't go far because the earth is flat. And if you go all the way to the end, you will fall off. But they kept going. He kept going and he discovered something. And there's a holiday mentioned after him to this day. You got inventors. You got discoverers. Dig deep in your culture who you really are. And it takes God to refine you into the image of Christ. So here's Shamgar. Shamgar comes out with a stick in his hand. Facing 600 men on his own. And I believe supernaturally God is telling you that I'm bigger than cancer. I'm bigger than poverty. I'm bigger than bitterness. I'm bigger than your oppressor. I want you to dare. Try me. Go out there and see what I put in you. And Shamgar is sticking out. And he takes that stick in his hand. And it's not pretty. It's not like a Chuck Norris movie where Chuck Norris fights about 10 guys and they wait their turn. One guy waits to hit Chuck, then the other guy looks, and he waits to fall out of a tree until Chuck can throw the perfect roundhouse, and it's pretty. 
There's nothing pretty about this. This is real. He's taking a stick. He's being hit from behind, hit from the side, stabbed from his legs, stabbed from the top. But with reckless abandon, he's not thinking about anybody. He's not feeling anything because he's sick and tired of feeling anything. And he's taking that stick and he's pushing forward, sticking forward, moving forward. And I believe 2,000 other men saw that. And when they saw the other 600 died, they said, that man's crazy. We're retreating. We're going to leave him alone. Shamgar wants you to do what the Lord wants you to do. The Lord wants you to pick up your ox gold. Your ox gold is sharper than a double-edged sword. Your ox gold should be like written tablets in your heart. Your odds go to be the day you walk out and you're talking to your kids and you're so discouraged and angry because your kid won't put the shoes on when they're walking out the door and the Lord is telling you to be patient because love is patient. Love is kind. You keep loving on your kid and you be patient as you are raising up your kid. Or when you're driving your car and that sucker is driving next to you and he's cutting you from the front and you want to do everything you can to curse them out and the Lord's telling you to be patient. The Lord's telling you no weapon formed against you will prosper. The Lord is filling you up with scripture. Maybe your boss telling you that you got to let you go and he's telling you that your Lord will supply all your needs because you know that you're tithing you're putting in the offering. The Lord wants you to pick up your outscope because it's coming from all directions because we do not fight against flesh and blood. Shamgar. You gotta have a prayer closet. Your prayer closet will refine you. Our God is a consuming fire. Joseph was in jail. That was a prayer closet. When Joseph was in prison, the Holy Spirit came to him in three ways. He came to him as a baker. Remember the baker he spoke to in the prison? For the Lord is a baker, he wants to refine you, purify you. Take you and sculpture you. He's a baker. Set the temperature right there. Atmosphere. The temperature has to be perfect. The praise music. Then he came as a cupbearer. The cupbearer would always taste the wine before he would give it to the king to make sure there's no poison in that wine. The Lord wants you to take the word of God and let the word of God be your cupbearer for there's so much poison that's out there. The self-help programs and all these other things that is out there. The Lord wants you to test it with the word of God. Let him be your cupbearer to line up every situation up with his word. Then he came as a warden. The warden has the keys to open up the door to allow you to go to your next level. He has the keys. I was in Hawaii, and when I went there, we stood on top of this mountain. And this mountain was 10,000 feet above sea level, but it was 19,000 feet below sea level. It was a dense mountain, 29,000 feet total, 2,000 feet higher than Mount Everest, and it was denser than Mount Everest. And when I got on top of this mountain, it was so windy. It was so cold. I mean, the wind was intense. We're on the mountaintop, but it didn't feel good at all. It was very, we wanted to help you get away from there. And my son had altitude sickness. He gets motion sickness. He was up there. I had to quickly get him down. But before we came down, the, the, um, 
the tour guide says something profound. The tour guide says, look down at the valley. And we look down at the valley. She says, that's the most beautiful spot there is. Look at that vegetation. It's in the valley. I wanted to quickly go to the valley to see the vegetation. A lot of you guys are in the valley right now. You quickly want to get to the mountaintop. You don't want to experience and taste the vegetation the Lord has for you. It's called the fruits of the spirit. He wants to impart. It's an impartation that you live out and you enjoy it. You feel the pain and you enjoy it because that's when you hear his voice. When you get to the top, you're there just to talk about and testify what you went through in the valley to give a quick message. Then you go back down to experience another valley. You do it from glory to glory to glory. You get sanctified until you see his face and it's over. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's time to pick up your ox gold. It's time to stop repeating the same thing over and over and over because he's a God of goodness and a God of mercy. He will allow you to go in circles in those winding paths that they went through. You're going through those winding paths over and over and over, and you're missing out because you can't make an impact until you make a collision. And you got to face your oppressor and realize what God has put in you and let it out for you to fight. You're not fighting flesh and blood. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. Father, we just ask right now, for we know that you are a gentleman. You are a gentleman, Holy Spirit. We just ask right now, since you are a gentleman, we know that when we choose to walk out this room and be alone with you in a prayer closet, that's when intimacy happens. So, Father, we just ask that we be obedient, for an ounce of obedience is more than a ton of sacrifice, that we be obedient to spend an intimate time with you in a prayer closet. Because, Father, we know that's when yada occurs, the kind of love that you have for us. I'm going to ask you a question. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, guys, let me tell you something. I don't care how many times you tithe, how many times you've been to church, how many songs you know. I'll say it over and over and over again as an evangelist. It will not get you to heaven. The only way you'll be 100% sure if you have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that and you want it now, just raise your hand. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus and that's what you want right now, just raise your hand. Or maybe there's a recommitment in your life you need to make. Raise your hand. I see a hand up. Okay, I see another hand up. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you another question. If you feel touched by this message... You feel like you need to take a step of faith like Shamgar, and you need to fight. You've been attacked by the enemy in your flesh, and you know you need to fight. Raise your hand if you're challenged to get up there and fight, for the Lord has put that in you.
Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you raised your hand because you want to have a commitment to Jesus Christ, also, if you raised your hand to make a commitment to fight, I'm going to ask you to come down. You're going to stand up, and you're going to come forward on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on forward for prayer, a united prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, listen to me. We're family in this room. We are family. Your DNA is not Democrat or Republican. Your DNA is the blood of Jesus. That's your DNA. Whoever is our president, you pray for your president. Because that's who the Lord put there as president. You respect the authority. When you go home, you see your family. You respect your family members, your parents. They're in a position of authority. God wants you to respect authority. I'm saying that because a lot of times we use our words like they're spears, and we dagger the office of authority, and we wonder why we're never blessed. King David would even take his enemy because he was in the office of authority. I feel like I had to say that today. Our words sometimes can kill our destiny. We're angry. We're bitter towards our parents because our parents mistreated us maybe in something in the past. They're still your parents. Honor your father. We got Father's Day. We got first day of summer. And we got Juneteenth. Oppression has gone from slavery. A new season's begun. And fathers are to be honored. Daddy is destiny. There's something profound about this day. Two of you raised your hand for salvation. I don't know if you made a recommitment. My two females, you and you, it's the best thing you can ever do in your life. He's your husband, your provider. An ounce of obedience is more than a ton of sacrifice. You obey him. Raise your hand. Extend your hands out to my brothers and sisters. Lord, I just ask right now, Father, for they came here to fight. And I just ask that they be faithful to be in your prayer closet and hold on to your words, to hold steadfast to the word of God. Father, thank you so much. I just ask for those appointments that are happening tomorrow, that you bless and honor them in their appointments tomorrow, that the new jobs that they're looking for, Father, give them favor as they look for those new jobs. Father, for family members, any family members that have um, any kind of sickness, Father, I don't know if it's pancreatic cancer, Father, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus. Father, we stand forward, Lord, for all the healing and the provision because we want to be faithful to you. We praise you in the good days. And we praise you on the bad days, Father, because you are God and no one else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those who raised your hand, Pastor Joe's going to, for salvation... Fresh commitment with Christ can give you some information. Thank you, Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to have uh, fathers come up, and we're just give you a gift and just pray a blessing over you. But before that, we're going to receive a second offering for uh, Clarence, the strength team, uh, their expenses, and just 
ask the Lord what you should do. We're going to have a Bible laying up here. You can come lay, uh, put an offering here. You can make the checks out to Strength Team or Church on a Rock, and it'll all go to the Strength Team. Uh, there'll be ushers in the back, too. But it takes, uh, there's a lot of guys traveling all over the world. Some of these assemblies, some schools have a budget where they can do 500 for an assembly, and some don't. And so uh, this is just good soil to plant seed into. We're praying about having them come maybe in the fall or spring and, and really hit the schools hard and, and just really uh, get this message out to the young people. Amen? So as you're preparing your offering and getting that ready, uh, could we get all the fathers to come up? And as they're coming, give them a hand. All fathers, just come up, get in here close, and, and uh, you guys can start handing out gifts. We got you the ultimate gift. It's a little man church koozie with some sunflower seeds, Slim Jim. Uh, another little bar in there to eat. So these guys will hand those out. Hey, you got to squeeze in, guys. Come on in. Come on in. Get in here tight. It's if you want a goodie. And trust me, you want one of these goodies. Yeah, go ahead and hand out those gifts. And just keep squeezing around here. Just keep moving into the middle so we can get everybody in here because we want Clarence to say a prayer over you. And uh, guys will filter around there and get you that gift. And out of those gifts, some lucky man in this room is going to get a $100 gift certificate to Gander Mountain. There will be a few Gander Mountain hats and a couple Harley t-shirts to give away too. And we'll uh, announce who that is in just a moment. But as they continue to pass those gifts out, I'm going to have Clarence just say a prayer over these men. Something about the word daddy. Let's pray. Father, we call you Abba Father. You are Abba Father, Romans 8, 15. And Father, with that impartation, you give us the privilege to be daddies. Father, you spoke life into us, Lord. When you took the dirt and you breathed life into it, Lord, let life come out of our words, Lord Jesus. Life to our children, to our children's children. Father, regardless of the age, Father God, we are still fathers. That is acts that we speak life among those who are orphaned and widowed, Father, for that is pure religion, Father. Father, that is asked as we walk this life as fathers, that we just realize that the things that we do, the way we treat our wives, the way we treat women, Father, that cultivates the entire community, Lord Jesus. And let us be an example to others, godly men with a purpose. Godly men who are not ashamed, mighty men of valor, Lord Jesus. May we walk and be ordered, Father God, and may we always be humble and hear your voice and obey it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.